Tēnā koutou katoa, ko Polly Hutchinson tēnei. Welcome to this Leading Lights podcast about eating and food issues for children in our primary schools. Today I'm talking with Ursula McCulloch, who is a consultant clinical psychologist with the CDHB. Ursula has many years experience working with primary age children with mental health difficulties, including eating disorders. Ursula is currently with the paediatric feeding team and the children under five service. Welcome Ursula. Thank you. We know that children need to be well nourished to actively participate and learn at school. And many schools are supportive with approaches like running breakfast clubs, having regular fruit breaks, and the nurturing read and feed. However, some children do have issues with food and eating. Ursula, what are some of the issues that you see around eating with primary age group? So Polly, we know there's a big focus on healthy eating at schools, which is a great thing. But we also know that it can be really challenging for children with restricted diets and high anxiety around eating their non-preferred foods. So I work in the paediatric feeding team and I have a lot of experience with eating disorders. So my knowledge around the feeding difficulties falls mainly in three areas. So the main three eating issues we've got with this age group are avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which we call ARFID. And this is picky eating really ramped up a notch. Um, This is where children show no interest in food available to them. Um, They often avoid food because of the sensory properties of the food and they limit their range. And they also often fail to meet their nutritional needs, but they don't have that body image distortion that we see in anorexia and their weight can be in the normal range, or they can even be overweight because they may eat too many carbs. On the other hand, anorexia, they restrict their diet and lower their calories and have less than what their body needs because of an intense fear of gaining weight and a body image distortion. So these children often involve themselves in activities that ensure they they don't gain weight, and they're a high-risk group and they're most treatable when they're picked up early. So it's really important for schools to be aware of these children. The other area um, which children show uh, difficulties with their eating is pika. And this is eating of non-preferred foods like paper or blue tack, which you can see in schools. This can often be linked to um, things like autism or intellectual disability, or sometimes uh, the children just have sensory needs that aren't being met. Other eating disorders we don't see commonly in this age group are things like bulimia, which is a binge and purge cycle, which is much less common in younger children. That's fascinating, um, Ursula. So if fussy eating or being a picky eater is a normal part of a child's development, at what point does that become an issue? We know that fussiness is a normal part of childhood and it's really common in toddlerhood, so ages one to two, and then again age five to six it's common. Sometimes it persists after age six or sets in at this time and then it becomes a much more persistent problem. So with this developmental issue, sometimes children become stuck on certain textures and they can have very few foods in their diet. So we're concerned when they have 
for instance, less than 20 foods that they accept. They can avoid eating entire ranges of foods. So for example, they may eat no meats or proteins or no fruits and vegetables. Some of these children also have a history of trauma around mealtimes, such as a choking incident, which can set off their restricted eating, or they can have an early history of something like reflux, which can cause their resistance to food, and they can learn that food is an aversive experience from a very young age. So we know that children with restricted eating can fail to meet their nutritional needs, but also of concern to school, we can see that they have lowered energy and lowered capacity to participate in the school. When their brains are not fueled, these children cannot concentrate as well. It can affect their memory and their processing of new information, which is really important for schools to be aware of. And children can also feel like outcasts when they're not eating like their peers. So it can affect their mood, they can become embarrassed, there's feelings of shame linked to this, and this impairs their self-esteem. And this can go on to exacerbate conditions like anxiety and depression. So restricted eating, ARFID, and eating disorders like anorexia do affect children in their primary years. Do those two issues share a common cause? And, and is there a, a commonality in the treatment of those two issues? Both of these issues are really complex and multifactorial, and there are some similarities and a lot of differences. With children with ARFID, the sensory properties of the food are really important to them. Often they will refuse a food because it is too sticky or too wet, or they have to chew it, it doesn't melt in the mouth, or the colour is too overwhelming to them. So that there's a variety of sensory factors that impact on why they won't eat the food. ARFID is also quite genetically laden, so we see in the paediatric feeding clinic histories where the parents have had restricted eating because of ARFID issues, or grandparents, so there's a definite genetic link. These children are often anxious, and their anxiety attaches itself to food, and they become highly anxious around food. And as I mentioned before, the early experiences of some trauma or discomfort relating to food impacts on the cause of ARFID. For anorexia, the factors may include things like socio-cultural factors, social intolerance of fatness and social pressures to be slim. There are personal factors too, like low self-esteem and perfectionism. And some children fear adulthood or sexuality and are very self-critical. There are family factors too. So sometimes in anorexia, a family member has had an eating disorder or another mental health issue. There are also emotional, sexual or physical abuse issues which can lead up to anorexia. And children often want to take control of their eating. In PICA, the other eating difficulty I spoke of earlier, Sometimes these children have autism or an intellectual disability, sometimes they don't, but they often look for sensory feedback in the items they pick around them. So they might chew on things and end up eating them because they enjoy the sensory feedback of a non-food in their mouth. Some of the children lack awareness of what is food and what is not. 
Other children may be relieving stress or distress and be putting things in their mouth and ending up eating them. And other children may have an inadequate nutrition in their diet and that causes them to eat non-foods. The treatments differ significantly. With children with anorexia, they restrict their foods due to body image often and they require kind but firm monitoring of their eating. Often this is support and monitoring to eat their foods during lunch times at school or morning tea times and these children can show really cunning ways to hide the fact that they're not eating so they can be hiding food and slipping it away and that's why they need monitoring. When it comes to fussy eating in ARFID, these children eat a small range of food and sometimes require supplements and they need support to explore some of their non-preferred foods in a very playful, slow, stepwise way. So this can look like encouraging them to touch and smell and then lick, and maybe bite and spit out a piece of non-preferred food or hold it in their mouth and maybe chew it and then spit it out. So working on a slow, systematic desensitization of non-preferred foods for treatment. So how can schools help, Ursula? How can um, schools support children who have the restricted eating or an eating disorder? It's important that schools work together with the parents and the caregivers. We want children to have a healthy attitude towards foods, feel good about eating foods and eat all foods in moderation. Leading Lights has got some very good strategies and some important things written on it, such as normalising eating as refueling the body, the importance of eating together with the class, avoiding reference to body size rather than what the body can do. We don't want body shaming because that's a form of bullying that needs to be addressed. And the importance of teaching positive body image and self-compassion. We want these children to feel good about themselves and the food they eat. For children with ARFID or restricted diets through the sensory properties of food, we want schools to give them permission to eat their preferred foods, even if they are not typically healthy choices. We want to fire those lunchbox police. These children need permission to eat the foods that give them the calories they need to operate for the day, and they may not look like the healthy choices that are in other children's lunchboxes. Parents also feel the pressure of what to put in the child's lunchbox. They often feel judged by other parents or the school and it's really tricky for them. They are only trying to fuel their child for the day. So it's really important that for those children with restricted diets due to ARFID, they are not picked on due to their restricted diet and range. We want these children to be included in class parties or outings in the school and families are usually more than willing to provide the food that the child will eat to give their child the opportunity to participate, which is really important for these children. So we're looking for treatment support also. So this may be a support person or a teacher aide to encourage interactions with non-preferred foods. So while they can fuel themselves with preferred foods, they can be encouraged to explore non-preferred foods to support their treatment. This, this 
maybe the touching, sniffing, licking, biting and dropping, biting and chewing, etc., of their non-preferred food. And some children really benefit from the support outside of the home environment to explore foods. We also know that these children are very easily discouraged by the challenge of new foods. So it's very important that whoever is working with these children celebrates all their interactions with non-preferred foods, not just the eating of it. It can be really challenging for these children even to sniff a non-preferred food. So these are important things. We want these children to celebrate all food interaction with non-preferred food and feel good about themselves as food explorers. When it comes to anorexia, this is different because these children need monitoring in order to eat any food. This can be done with friends present and an adult, and we want to encourage that person to attend at mealtimes to ensure that food is eaten. So it's not about food exploring, it's about ensuring that calories get eaten for the day. It's also important that schools work together with the mental health services involved to ensure that this is happening and that the school is aware of what support is needed. For issues such as PICA, the number one priority is just keeping the child safe. So we need to monitor their environment. We need to be aware of where the blue tack is or where the staples are if they're eating staples. And we need to monitor the child. Sometimes these children benefit from a sensory diet to help them meet their sensory needs. So this might involve taking them outside, letting them play around in the playground, play in the sandpit, or play in a sensory corner with a variety of sensory toys. This may lower their stress and may also be able to reduce their pica. Working with the family is so important, isn't it, Ursula? And I imagine a child with a diagnosis, the family could work with the school and with the plan provided by the health professional, create a school health plan to formalise all the agreements around how that child will be supported and what that level of support would look like. Absolutely, Polly. It is a collaboration of the school and the family to support these children to meet their nutritional needs and to feel good about themselves for eating a good range of food. Mm. And a school may even look at the school high health uh, needs funding to, to support that work if that is appropriate. For general support, the school could talk to the Ministry of Education about what support or funding they have available that could help the school support the child. I think it's wonderful that Tamariki are learning about fueling their bodies with a variety of foods at school. The new Healthy Active Learning Initiative is a great example of that. But I can imagine for a child who has a, an eating issue or a, a, a food issue, they may find some lessons about food in health or food technology classes a challenge. So do you have any advice for schools about what to avoid? That's a very good question, Polly. I think it's really important for children with ARFID to be exposed to food. So it's fantastic if they can attend food technology for that exposure. However, that shouldn't be going together with pressure to eat the food that they make. What is not helpful for ARFID are things like force feeding the children, 
having very lengthy meal times. So we don't want the children to be sitting for the whole of their playtime having to eat their foods and then missing out on the social opportunities to play with other children. It's also important that we don't compare the children with other children. We don't punish them, give them threats, because they often feel bad about themselves for their restricted diets anyway without adding to it. We also don't trick the children into eating foods that are not preferred foods for example, by hiding foods inside another food, because then the child learns to distrust foods and they can drop foods from their diets altogether. For anorexia, comparing the child to other children is not helpful, neither is shaming helpful, but probably most importantly, telling them over and over again that they're thin and arguing with their body image distortion is not helpful. The idea that the child has that they are too fat is entrenched in their thought processes and it does not help to just argue against it. That's all very good common sense advice. Ursula, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to add? Any other messages for schools that you would like to share around food or eating issues for primary children? There are lots of resources available online to support children with eating disorders. There are also fantastic resources on Leading Lights to guide schools through the pathways to follow when they have a child with an eating disorder. And it's important primarily, as we've mentioned many times, to work together with the family and not to judge them. <laughs>